You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, as well it is at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com, please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 93A, by Rudolf Steiner, uh, 31 Lecture Notes by Participants, entitled Foundations of Esotericism, translated by Vera and Judith Compton Burnett. This is Lecture 8, given in Berlin on the 3rd of October, 1905. The different incarnations of the human individuality are a kind of swinging of the pendulum to and fro until the rhythm is brought to rest and the higher part of man has found in the physical a fitting expression, a suitable instrument. Approximately ever since human beings have reincarnated, the position of sun, moon, and earth has existed as it is now. We understand that man belongs to the great cosmic organism, In the times in which great changes take place in the life of humanity, mighty changes also occur in the cosmos. Earlier than this, before there was reincarnation, sun, moon, and earth were not yet separated as now. Kant and Laplace were observing from the physical plane only, and to this extent their theory is quite correct, but they did not know the connection with spiritual forces. When moon and earth came into existence as separate bodies, out of the primal fire-vapor sun, man also began to incarnate. When human incarnations will have come to an end, the sun will be reunited with the earth once more. On the large scale, as in the single details, one must bear in mind these relationships of man to the universe. You will often have heard that man usually incarnates after a period of about 2,000 years. One can investigate when people who are alive today had their earlier incarnation. For the souls who are now incarnated, one finds as a rule that this was about 300 to 400 years before the birth of Christ. In addition, however, one finds others who were incarnated at various times, some earlier, some later. But there is another way to determine incarnations, a way which leads more certainly to the goal. One can say, were the human beings who die today to return in a short time, they would meet almost the same conditions as now. However, man ought to learn as much as possible on the earth, and this can only happen when in the next incarnation he finds something new which is essentially different from the earlier conditions. Let us, for instance, imagine ourselves back in the time about 600 to 800 years before Christ, that is about the time of the Iliad and the Odyssey. With the advanced peoples of that time, the conditions of life were quite different from what they are now. One would, for instance, be astonished to see with what curious implements people ate. At that time also people had not yet learned to write. The great poems were transmitted by word of mouth. When a person of those times is reincarnated today, 
he must, as a child, learn quite other things. As a child he must learn to write. The stream of culture has meanwhile progressed. One must distinguish between the stream of culture and the development of the individual soul. As a child one must catch up with the civilization, and for this reason one must be born again as a child. Now we must ask, what causes such utterly different conditions on earth? This is connected with the progression of the spring equinox. About 800 years before Christ, the sun in spring entered the constellation of Aries, the ram. Every year at the spring equinox it shifts a little. Because of this, the conditions on the earth are always slightly changed. Eight hundred years before Christ, the sun stood in the constellation of Aries. Earlier, it stood in the constellation of Taurus, still earlier in Gemini, and still earlier in Cancer. Now already for some hundred of years, it rises in the constellation of Pisces. After this comes Aquarius. The advance of civilization is also connected with the progression of the sun from one constellation to the other. At the time when the sun rose in the constellation of Cancer, the ancient Vedic culture of the Indians, the culture of the Rishis, reached its highest point. The Rishis, those still half-divine beings, were the teachers of the human being. The Atlantean civilization had met its destruction. A new impulse broke in. In occultism, this is called a vortex, German verbal. This is also why in the age in which the sun stood in the constellation of Cancer, the sign was made as in the diagram. Cancer signifies a breaking in of something new, a a vortex, a double spiral. The second cultural epoch is named the constellation of the twins. At that time the dual nature of the world was understood, the opposing forces of the world, Ormuzd and Araman, good and evil. Thus the Persians also speak of the twins. The third cultural epoch is that of the Sumerians in Asia Minor and of the Egyptians. The constellation of the bull corresponds to this epoch. This is why in Asia the bull was venerated and in Egypt Apis. At that time in Babylon and Assyria, the Sumerian language was the language of wisdom. Then the bull fell into decadence and the ram came into the ascendant. The first indication of this is the saga of the golden fleece. The fourth culture is that of the ram or lamb. Christ stands in the sign of the ram or lamb. Hence he calls himself the Lamb of God. As fifth culture, the external materialistic civilization follows in the constellation of the fishes. This developed principally from the 12th century onward and reached its climax about the year 1800. This is the culture of the fifth sub-race, the present time. In the constellation of the water-man in the future, the new Christianity will be proclaimed. In quotes, water-man is also the one who will bring it, he who has already been here, namely John the Baptist. Later, he will again be the forerunner of Christ, when the sixth, the spiritual sub-race, will be founded. The Theosophical Movement should be the preparation for that time. 
In the New Testament, the expression, quote, on the mountain, close quote, is used on various occasions. On the mountain means in the mystery, in the innermost, in the intimate. Even the Sermon on the Mount is not to be understood as a sermon for the people, but as an intimate teaching for the disciples. The transfiguration on the mountain has also to be understood in this sense. Jesus went up into the mountain with the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. There, we are told, the disciples were taken up out of themselves. Then Moses and Elias appeared on either side of Jesus. For a moment space and time were extinguished, and the disciples found themselves with their consciousness on the mental plane. Those who were no longer physically present, Moses and Elias, appeared. In direct revelation they had before them, quote, I am the way, the truth, and the life, close quote. Elias equals the way, Moses equals the truth, Christ equals the life. This appeared here to the disciples in actual form. Jesus once said to them, quote, Elias has come again, close quote. John was Elias, only he has not been recognized. But he said further, quote, Tell it to no man until I come again. Close quote. Christianity was not to teach reincarnation for two thousand years, not for any arbitrary reason, but on educational grounds. People were to know nothing of it for two thousand years. In the Gospel of St. John there is an indication of this in the miracle of the wedding at Cana, where water is turned into wine. In the old mysteries, only water was distributed, but in the Christian mysteries, wine. For in the priesthood, through the partaking of wine, knowledge of reincarnation was blotted out. Whoever partakes of wine cannot attain to any true knowledge of manas, buddhi, and atma. He can never comprehend reincarnation. By his coming again, Christ means his reappearance in the sixth subrace, when he will be proclaimed by waterman. Theosophy actually carries out the testament of Christianity and works toward this epoch of time. Every time the sun progresses from one sign of the zodiac to another, incisive changes take place in civilization. In between, there elapses a period of about 2,600 years. If we take the moment of time, when the sun entered the sign of the ram or lamb about 800 years before Christ and 1,800 years after Christ, then we have 2,600 years. About the year 1,800, we entered the sign of the fishes. This is the time when materialistic culture reached its highest point. It was prepared for in the Middle Ages and has now begun to decline. About the year 4,400, Mankind enters the sign of spiritual culture, that of the waterman. Preparation has also to be made for this. Thus conditions change also with the constellation. With the progression from one sign to another, new conditions also arise, so that rebirth has meaning. The human being is reborn approximately every 2,600 years, but the experiences he makes as man and as woman are so radically different that two such incarnations, as man and as woman, are reckoned as one. About 1,300 years elapse between two incarnations as man or as woman, 
and about 2,600 years between such double incarnations, if one reckons both as one. A human being is only man or woman in regard to the physical body. When the physical body is masculine, the etheric body is feminine and vice versa. When the physical body is feminine, the etheric body is masculine. Only the astral body is at the same time masculine and feminine. The human being bears within him the opposite sex as etheric body. Thus, in the etheric, the man is feminine, and in the etheric, the woman is masculine. The physical woman has therefore many concealed masculine qualities. The physical incarnation is present only exoterically. The human being therefore goes through a constellation every time as man and woman in turn. This is why the Master said to Sinnet that the human being is incarnated about twice in a subrace, cultural period. Occultly, both incarnations are reckoned together as one. There must come a time in which the woman will actually move toward the culture dominated by the man. The present woman's movement is to be recognized as the preparation for another, later, and quite different woman's movement. In the future, sex differentiation will be totally overcome. There was a special reason why, for about 2,000 years, the teaching of reincarnation was completely suppressed. The human being was to learn to know and value the importance of the one life. Every slave in ancient Egypt was still convinced of the fact that he would return, that one day he would be master instead of slave, but that he had to pay his karmic debts. The single life was, therefore, not so important to him. But the lesson people then had to learn was to gain firm ground under their feet. Thus, during one life, reincarnation was to remain unknown. Christ, therefore, expressly forbade any teaching about reincarnation. But from about 800 years before Christ until about 1800 years after Christ, the time had elapsed during which nearly everyone had gone through the one life without experiencing anything of reincarnation. The great masters have the task not always to impart the whole truth at any one time, but only that part needed by man. This withholding of the consciousness of reincarnation came to poetic expression in this epoch in Dante's Divine Comedy. In monastic esotericism, on the other hand, Reincarnation was definitely taught when the occasion arose. The Trappists had to remain silent throughout one incarnation, so that in the next they might become eloquent speakers. They were intentionally trained in this way to become eloquent speakers, for of these the Church can make good use. When St. Augustine put forward the doctrine of predestination, he was entirely consistent. Because in the age of materialism, reincarnation was not to be taught, the Augustinian doctrine of predestination had to make its appearance. Only in this way could the differences in people's circumstances be explained. Connected with this is the deeply materialistic character of traditional Christianity, which lies in the fact that the beyond is made dependent on one physical existence. This materialistic teaching of Christianity has, so to say, born its fruit. Today there is no longer any consciousness of the beyond. Social democracy is the ultimate consequence of traditional Christianity. 
but now a new impulse must come into the world. When one epoch comes to an end, something new breaks in. Christianity worked toward the gradual dawning of the materialistic age. In order to bring about materialistic civilization, human beings, for a period of 1,300 years, had to have such a teaching as was brought by Christianity, namely, that man should make the whole of eternity dependent upon one earthly life. Urban bourgeoisie then became the actual founder of the age of materialism. Already at the time of Christ, the spiritual had to be betrayed by the purely material. Judas Iscariot had to betray Christ. One can, however, say, had there been no Judas, there would also have been no Christianity. Judas is the first to attach prime importance to money, that is to say, to materialism. In Judas was incarnated the entire materialistic age. This materialistic age has obscured and darkened the spiritual. Through his death, Christ becomes the Redeemer of materialism. The end of Lecture 8